Quentin Tarantino, the famous director and screenplay writer, is releasing his own um, debut NFT collection. Uh, and it'll be on the secret network. And so the issue with this is, well, let, let me go back a second. So these Tarantino NFTs are essentially um, handwritten scripts, commentary, and you know, little notes that uh, Quentin Tarantino made throughout his process as he was writing Pulp Fiction, um, the, the Academy Award-winning uh, movie for best screenplay, and obviously a cult classic. So the issue lies in the fact that he wants to release these NFTs, but Miramax, which is the production company, owns the rights to that um, movie. So there's this weird issue now where Quentin Tarantino retains the rights to his screenplay and his script, or sorry, to his script, but Miramax owns the film rights and the screenplay. So what's kind of funny about this whole scenario is that Miramax sued Tarantino, basically saying that he was infringing on their intellectual property by releasing these NFTs with, with um, you know, content that they claim to own. But what makes it so unique is that secret NFTs are private. So Miramax couldn't actually see what was inside these NFTs. So it created a very odd lawsuit where they're claiming that someone is stealing their content, but they can't prove what content or even see what content is in there. So I don't know if you if you heard about this at all, but I thought it was a very interesting kind of situation here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, at first, I got to be honest, when, I, when this first broke and it seemed like there might be like clips, like deleted scenes, I was 100% on the side of Miramax because although Tarantino you know, created and wrote the screenplay. Um, if Miramax owned it, then you can't sell shit you don't own. And also, if he was going to sell something for a profit, you know, he was integral into making that movie. But there's also a slew of other people that were responsible for turning that from a screenplay into a movie. So, you know, it wasn't just Miramax, he would be hypothetically screwing out of money. There, there's a slate of employees that worked on that movie that might have been excluded too but it seems like now um it's just going to be the screenplay which he owns i'm led to understand so he's just right selling um like pictures of that and then like his own commentary so it seems like what he's selling now he does retain ownership over so at that point it's like yeah you own it you want to sell it knock yourself out uh go for it um but uh definitely um with your your second point about no one really knowing what's in this uh that has some weird implications because i like secret i'm just wondering if this is like the first example of something that might come up down the road to make secret um i don't know an example to be made out of or maybe a primary target for some aggressive regulation that there's the secret nature i i just yeah, I hope it. Yeah, that's I kind of I understand where you're coming from. Um, but I guess one thing to note is that you they could see what's inside if the if Quentin Tarantino allowed them to and said, "Hey, here's what's inside these NFTs," and vice versa. If they did sell that content and it wasn't his, let's say he did sell scenes that were technically owned by Miramax, then then he could be prosecuted. Um, and they could subpoena that he provide what's inside that NFT. And that's up to him to make that decision if he wants to provide that. Um, he might say, no, I don't, I don't want to provide you to that. But now you're breaking a law. Yeah, so, then you go to jail. <laughs> right. So. so I think there's 
already kind of protections around this. I understand that it's a little more difficult because you need consent from the owner to, mm -hmm. to get that viewing key to even see this private metadata. But again, if, if a law enforcement agency subpoenas you for that information and you have access to it and you don't give it to them, that is illegal, right? That is, right. You know, you're going to get punished for that. Um, but what I think was kind of interesting was Secret Labs did walk back um, how they described the NFT. So they did later clarify that it, it is handwritten scripts, um, notes, and then voiceover commentary from Quentin Tarantino himself. So it yeah. is all original. It is all owned by Quentin Tarantino. So they're actually going to move forward with this, this launch on, I think it was January 17th. Um, and it's actually going to be over a few weeks span. But... Mm -hmm. But the actual um, Kate lawsuit, I think, doesn't start till February. So they're actually going through with this without even getting an opinion from the courts. Um, that's how confident Quentin Tarantino and the Secret Labs team is that he owns this intellectual property. So, I mean, that's to me that that says a lot, right, that they're basically saying we know we have a pending lawsuit, but it has no merit. And therefore, we're going to continue on with our plan as we originally you know, had in the card. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited and glad they did that. Yeah. We'll see if it works out. I guess like if you do go ahead and you sell this and then a court's like, yeah, you didn't have the rights to do it. Um, I don't really know what kind of recourse you have to like retract uh, that from the possession of the secret like buyers, but right. um, yeah, it'd be that's risky to go identify them and, and basically track them down. And, and at that point, it's basically you're in possession you're of stolen property. It's like, <laughs> it's like torrenting or yeah. downloading a movie at that point. It kind of seems like, but I guess you just sue him for damages or whatever and move on. Right, but, um, right. I yeah. imagine it would end up in a settlement. Um, but even so, I don't know if you can go after Quentin Tarantino since he's not the owner of those NFTs now. Well, so, I mean, it was uh, he was pretty integral to this. So uh, I'm yes. not a lawyer, but I got to figure he's uh, he's at least getting called as a witness, if not a yeah, target. I mean, he was, um, you could say he was definitely an accomplice at the very least, um, <laughs> if not the organizer. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, I guess I, I like Pulp Fiction. I saw the movie, I guess, maybe it's just me. I don't know how much more enjoyment I'd get of the movie if I read if I read the deleted scenes. I like watching a deleted scene, but um, so, it goes back to I mean, teach their own. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> teach their own because so the way the reason that these are holding so much value is because Quentin Tarantino writes handwrites his scripts right, and he is a legendary screenplay writer. I mean, he is Quentin Tarantino is synonymous with cult classic movies. I mean, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Um, I could go on. That, that right, was, he's also really long. fun to listen to because I, I just saw a clip of him talking about movies, and it was um, no, it was it was very interesting. So yeah. if he has notes and commentary, like that would be interesting. So yeah. So and and that's the thing. He's a very intelligent guy, so that's it's fun to kind of hear thought process. But he's also an mm -hmm. artist and a creative. Yeah. And you get to kind of get inside his head and kind of hear how he you know, thought through certain scenes or his process of writing the script or how he viewed characters. These are things that you really can't get except from him. And so if you're a movie buff or, you know, a film buff, what, what have you, and you love these, you know, movies from Quentin Tarantino, specifically Pulp Fiction, which I know is a very popular one, you might see the value of owning, you know, his handwritten scripts that no one else has ever seen but him. So if he writes his scripts, 
They stay in his library in his home for him to look and read. And then he puts them onto, you know, whatever type typed up to send off to the production companies. So this is something that no one has ever seen. And that's like that exclusivity and like that rarity mm-hmm. that you get from it. It's like no one's ever seen this. And once you buy it, now you own it. I imagine yeah. a Hollywood executive will definitely be reaching out to purchase that and put it in their private collection, mm-hmm. knowing that it will do nothing but appreciate over time. I don't and that's doubt. A, and yeah. So yeah. And I'm probably going to eat into my second article here, but what another thing I'm thinking of is, you know, if, if the ultimate goal is to try to empower artists to have more agency over uh, profiting off their work, uh, obviously Tarantino is already successful and has profited mm-hmm. immensely. So it's not like he needs this money per se, but if you're going to go up against the existing powers, production companies uh, like Miramax, um, just an indie artist, an indie director probably doesn't have the weight to break down that barrier. So I guess hopefully this, the difficulty of this saga and, you know, it's, it's still in process. It still has to work itself out, but maybe, maybe this does open the door for other directors to, to try to take some agency, other creatives in the movie industry to take some ownership and agency over their yeah. work. Um, so at yeah, the very least it, it shows, people what is possible with mm-hmm. with nfts and the specifically secret nfts where you can make something exclusive by by making it so only the owner can view it and not making it so once it's minted it is viewable to everyone right that's it, that's where you're going to add value is people are trying to buy one of one art pieces so think like let's say banksy um, i don't know if you know him, a famous street artist if he were to do a, a private you know street art for you and then sell it to you and you never revealed it but you have so you have an unrevealed banksy art piece that no one's ever seen someone might be willing to pay a lot of money for that because they want to see it and they want to put it in their private collection or in a um a gallery so there's definitely in my opinion a use case for these private metadata nfts and (laughs) this is just a prime example of how it could be used and it being a big name like tarantino i think will actually drive a lot of people to actually see what's happening and not Mm -hmm. just have it go under the radar. But with that said, I know you had an article as well, and it kind of touches base on this a little bit, talks a little about NFT growth this year, but really the article is just about, it's called the Electric Capital uh, Developer Report, and it's really just about developers in the Web3 space and and how the whole Web3 kind of ecosystem and idea really has blown up in the past year. So I don't mm-hmm. know if you had any points you wanted to specifically touch on, but I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, it's one of those articles that takes a 2021 year in review approach, which they're everywhere right now with the turnover from the new year. And a lot of times they kind of seem like filler, <laughs> people looking to just churn out some content. But I thought this was really interesting because it focused on developers, the number of developers, the frequency of their contribution to these different protocols and projects. Um And I think most commonly when you hear about people talk about where crypto and Web3 stands, the metrics they usually use are market value, maybe total value locked. It's a lot of dollar terms, which can be effective. It's a good earmarker. But I think developers, it it tells like these are the people at the end of the day, if this space or any space, any industry, any economy is going to develop, you need people to roll up their sleeves and just do the work. That's ultimately the only way anything develops or gets done. And it's developers here that are that are going to do it. And so checking in to see 
you know, what is the state of development in Web3? I thought it would be great. And so right now, uh, in 2021, there were 18,000 monthly active developers committing code to an open source crypto or Web3 project. And uh, in total, there were 34,000 new developers that did some work throughout the year. So we're talking... Uh, thousands and thousands of developers that are working on these projects. And that is up in some cases for some of these protocols like um, Ethereum, like Polkadot. We're talking a three or four times increase in monthly active developers just from compared to like 2020. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking big jumps here. It's it's really cool to see the people willing to do the work flocking into this. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting to see, like you mentioned, um, Ethereum had 4,000 monthly active um, developers in 2021, and Bitcoin only had 680. Mm-hmm. That that to me was kind of telling. Um, I've, I've for a long time, I've always said, I, I think Bitcoin's utility is very limited. I think yeah. it has a place in the space just because it was a first mover and, and it has a strong backing, not only from retail traders, but also institutions now um, have their their hand in it. So I don't, I'm not saying that Bitcoin is going to go away, but seeing how little people are actually currently developing on it is telling. I mean, you see these smaller projects like, you know, Solana, uh, Cosmos, Avalanche, Terra, Terra Luna, um, and they're, they have nearly the same amount of developers as Bitcoin, despite having, you know, one one hundredth of the market cap. So mm-hmm. it's, that's something that I would keep an eye on because to me, the most important thing you should look for is developers on a protocol and then really pay attention to who's leaving web two, like Google, Amazon, you know, Facebook, these top developers and what projects are they, or what um, protocols are they developing on? Because to me, that will be your kind of hint at, Hey, these are the projects are going to do well because they have the best talent and the smartest people working on them. Yeah. And we really try to get interviews with as many of these developers as we can on this and our other show. But um, one more thing that really stuck out was the track record the the of developers joining this space. And what you see is that there's a spike in developers contributing when crypto prices rise, which probably isn't too shocking. But then you might expect that to fall when prices fall. But what we actually see is that even when the crypto market as a whole, when prices plummet, when you enter a bear market, the developer count stays very steady throughout bad markets. And that is maybe the most encouraging sign of this entire piece because it tells me that the actual builders of this new web, they're committed and they and that provides a lot more confidence to me in the long-term stability and growth of this entire space. So Yeah. And with with kind of NFTs and, and gaming coming into the space as well, I think we'll see even more developers start to join the Web3 space. I mean, before you were really just writing um, code for contracts uh, and computations on these kind of layer one, either smart contracts or just basic transactions. But now you're getting applications where you're developing products and um, different use cases like gaming and NFTs. So mm-hmm. I can definitely see where more developers who are more, you know, not a full stack developer, but focus more on maybe front end things can now get involved in the Web3 space. So that's a really cool, cool thing to see. And I, I love to see that the developer base is growing because we need more developers. 
um, in this space because if Web3 is going to work, you're going to need a lot of people working on it. You're going to need a lot of smart, talented people. And and I think that's happening, but uh, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's a good point. Well, we're probably at time. So thanks for jumping on today, bud. It's good to talk to you. Of course, as always, and hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, you bet. We'll be back on Monday.